I am very grateful to be with all of you this evening. My special gratitude to His Holiness Jaipatak Swami Maharaj, who has given his life for almost 50 years to dedicating his body, mind, words, and his very prana, his very life force, to share this gift of bhakti as Srila Prabhupada gifted him with people from all over the world. Every continent except perhaps Antarctica. He has certainly been numerous times. Many of the most crowded, congested places and places that are so isolated that hardly any Vaishnav has ever gone. Whether it's in the snows of Russia or the deserts of the Middle East or the jungles of Africa or Coimbatore. <laughs> Towns and villages of America. Especially he has blessed all of you. His Holiness Banu Swami Maharaj who has given so much of his heart for this area of India. Special gratitude to His Holiness Bhaktivinod Maharaj, who has, with his scholarship and his great faith and devotion to his guru and his very special compassion and concern for all of us here has really given his heart for this project. And my special gratitude to all of you for being here this evening. I believe this photograph behind me is the planned temple that will soon be here. In one sense, a temple is made out of the same elements as any other building. There may be bricks or concrete, there may be marble or granite or stone, there may be steel beams. What makes a temple so special? What makes it an embassy of the spiritual world? Because Thank you.
ओम पूर्णाम आद पूर्णामिताम ईशोपनिषद tells us that the absolute truth or krishna is perfect and complete aham sarvasya prabhu mat sarvam pravartite iti matva pachante mam bhuta bhava samanta krishna tells in gita that i am the source of all material and spiritual worlds everything emanates from me the wise who know this perfectly engage in my loving service and serve me with all their hearts janmadya shayata the vedanta sutra tells that the absolute truth is hidden from whom everything emanates the origin of all So our material spiritual worlds are the energy of the shaktiman the supreme source of all that exists So anything that is coming from Krishna who is purely spiritual is spiritual But the jiva the independent living being that is part and parcel of krishna has free will in order to love there must be the free will to not love that is where love finds its perfect deepest experience is in sharanagati in surrender and surrender is simply a choice we make moment by moment of how we will utilize our free will when we recognize bhoktaram jagata pasam sarva lokamaheshwaram suhrutam sarva bhutanam gyatvamam shantim ritchati that the supreme truth or krishna is the source of everything and the proprietor of everything he is the most intimate loving friend for all living beings and therefore when we utilize everything in harmony with his will which is called bhakti or devotional service the entire creation in its essence is simply facilities to be utilized as an exchange between god's love for us and our, our love for god yegatamam prapadyante tamstadaiva pajamya but krishna will reveal himself according to how we approach him when we see that the environment the ecology all wealth all our abilities all our knowledge and all living beings when we see them all as 
blessings that we can be that can be used in Krishna's service. Some say the for Krishna's pleasure. And we see the spiritual truth everywhere. But when Janmad when when we think in terms of I am this body and I am all these designations of the body I am black or white or red or yellow or brown or I am male or female or I am of one religion or another religion or one caste or another caste or one social status or another and we forget Aham Pramasmi, Jivaraswarapoy, Krishnaranityadas, that I'm the eternal spirit, I'm the living force that is a part of Krishna, that is by nature an eternal servant of Krishna. And we no longer think that what is in my apparent possession is mine. My house, my money, my family, my scholarship, my abilities. But we understand if we were proprietors, no, nothing and no one could ever take it away. And through the power of time and ultimately death, everything is taken away. Everything is God's property. So true honesty is not... In America, there's a famous story that we're told as children that the first president of the United States when he was a little boy he took an axe and cut down a cherry tree. He wasn't supposed to do that. And when he was asked by his father, he said, yes, I did it. So he's considered a great hero because he told the truth. So that kind of truth is relative. It is a moral truth. According to the yamas and niyamas, speaking moral truth is important. Otherwise, nobody will trust us. But the deeper, higher truth is that everything is God's property. And not to be arrogant, and not to be selfish, and not to be greedy. That is actual honesty from a spiritual perspective. Bhakti is the essence of all the paths of yoga and of all the schools of knowledge. It's very simple but very deep and has such profound, elaborate philosophical explanations and evidences. But even a child can realize it.
how may I serve my Lord? And in order to understand how to serve, we, under, we must understand what Krishna wants. Serving isn't imposing our will on God, which is very often our tendency. And that is what Sharanagati means. Simply to live in harmony with Krishna's will. So when we offer a temple to Krishna, and the bricks and the stones and the steel and whatever else, even the electrical wiring and the plumbing, It is all spiritual substance because it's all being utilized according to its true purpose and its true nature. A temple is a place which is a facility to bring community together. In our Vaishnava school for Grihastas, each home is asked to have a small little simple temple within the home. Where there's a nice little altar. Some are more elaborate, some are simple. But elaborate and simple is not what's important. It's the spirit. The idea is we're putting Krishna in the center of my family. And we're putting Krishna in the center of my life. When we put Krishna in our home on a little altar, it's not just an exhibition to show people who come that I'm a very religious person. It's not just for good luck. It's a very, very strong spirit of devotion. That's what it's meant to be. It's an acknowledgement that Krishna, this house is your house. So I'm going to keep it so clean, both in the way we live and in the way we keep it physically, because it's your temple. And all the family members are your children. And the father and mother are acknowledging that the children we have, they are your children who have been lovingly entrusted in our care on your behalf. And whatever wealth is there is yours. So in this way, Srila Prabhupada used to say, that if we put Krishna or Lakshmanarayan or Sitaram, if we put the Lord of our hearts in the center of our home, the house becomes Vaikuntha. It's not the material world, it is the spiritual world. Where the wife, the husband, 
if it's a joint family, the uncles and the aunties and the nephews and the nieces and the children and the grandparents and everybody, they are all united. And they're all harmonized by this higher purpose. And we need this. Because in this world, everyone has their own way of seeing things. Everyone has their own opinions. Everyone has their own desires. So how could we live in harmony? So many reasons to fight. So many reasons to disagree. So many reasons to go somewhere else. But this is a test. The more there's differences, the more it's an opportunity for Shadunagati. Where we understand that now Krishna's in the center. What does Krishna want us to do? What does our Guru want us to do? The first thing they want us to do is to cooperate with each other for their pleasure. That's foundational for our devotional service. And together we chant Krishna's names. Together we perform puja. To perf together we, we, we go for the satsang. Together we perform seva. Putting Krishna in the home is making the home a temple. And it's bringing the family together. But the great acharyas like Ramanuja Acharya, Madhvacharya, Nimbarakacharya, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his six Goswamis and other acharyas, they have built temples as community educational centers based on highest spiritual principles for the society. Where all the families can come together for a common purpose. You see, if we read the scriptures by Kunta Goloka Bhagavan, it's all just a big family life. And to spiritualize our consciousness in this world, it is very conducive to create this kind of family life. The larger family, the family of the community. There may, hundreds and, there may be hundreds or even thousands or tens and thousands of homes that have their little temples. But then there is the larger temple where all the families come together as a priority. And then the whole community becomes our family. And Krishna is put in the center in a very prominent way. Prana Pratishna. And we see Ramanujacharya was a great sannyasi. 
Madhvacharya, great sannyasi, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Rupa Sanatan, Goswamis, they were on the highest level of renunciation. But still they created these temples as places where humanity could come together to be a family. We all have our different opinions, our different desires, our different ways of looking at the world. We all have our different backgrounds. But when Krishna is installed in the temple, then we all come together for this higher principle. What does Krishna want? The first thing he wants us to do is cooperate. Trinata pisuni chenata Lord Chaitanya told that the most powerful, simplest, and highest process to awaken Krishna Prem, love of God, is the chanting of the names of the Lord. But then he taught us, if we want to chant properly, we must be humble like blade of grass. We must be tolerant and forgiving like a tree. We must learn the art of offering all respects to others and not demanding it for ourselves. In this way, Krishna will be so pleased that when we chant his name, we directly experience him. He reveals himself. Sri Radha reveals herself. So when we all recognize Jagannath Baladev Subhadra in our little temple now, they are the supreme eternal lords of our lives and we all come together to sing for them to dance for them, to sew for them, to cook for them, to serve for them. But they won't be pleased with any of these things if we're not treating each other with respect. Our spiritual advancement really can be understood in many ways, but one important way is when we feel so happy to see others being blessed and making spiritual progress. When that gives us happiness, our happiness is giving Krishna happiness. But if we feel envy, or if we feel neglectful, or just don't care, That means there's, there's a serious deficiency in our spiritual practice. Madhbhakta puja Krishna tells that worship of my devotee is more pleasing to me than worshiping me. So how we treat each other. And how could we do that? How could we cooperate when there's so many different kinds of people and there are 
limitless reasons to disagree and fight. In Kali Yuga, there's never a shortage of such things. You don't need a telescope or a microscope to find it. It's everywhere. But there's one reason not to fight. Because Krishna wants us to serve together. Haman, that's what it means to tolerate. <laughs> Not just to tolerate too much heat or too much cold. Those things are not so difficult to tolerate. But to tolerate our own egos, that's the challenge. So these temples are wonderful community centers. And the Acharyas provide these temples and build these temples, especially to give us the opportunity to participate and make spiritual progress together. And there's nothing more attractive to the world, to the general public, to attract them to the path of bhakti, that when when they hear the profound um, elegance of our philosophy and they see and hear the beauty of the kirtan and the darshan, but they see how these things are transforming people in the age of quarrel and hypocrisy to actually love each other and serve together. That's a testimony that this process really does transform. But that's our responsibility to be instruments of that testimony. As far as preaching, we can um, speak so many things, which is very nice. But in this world, People hear so much stuff from so many people. They want to see that it works. <laughs> That's where faith comes. An acharya is, not, is one who speaks the truth, as it is, parampara, but also exemplifies it through behavior. And that is the responsibility of every devotee. To actually create a community. And to the degree we actually prioritize this, each of us individually and collectively, something incredible starts happening. And I have seen very practically and tangibly in various places when the brahmacharis really honor and respect the grihastas and encourage them and appreciate them. And when the grihastas really encourage and appreciate the brahmacharis for what they are and who they are and what they're doing. And when the brahmacharis also somehow or other encourage and appreciate the other brahmacharis and the grihastas appreciate and encourage the other grihastas, 
then it creates an unstoppable force of divine grace because Krishna is so much there. In the Srimad Bhagavatam, there is a story of Prachetas. They were the sons of King Prachini Barhishat, who was a very materialistic person. But at the same time, he had some spiritual values. At the time, not always for the highest purpose, but still. So his sons, in order to prepare themselves, these days people are prepared by going to college and just getting all kinds of tools of different types of material mechanical abilities through knowledge, through training. But in times of where dharma was really prominent, people were not only trained in that way, they were trained in dharma. They were trained in high spiritual principles. So the Prachetas, there were ten brothers, and they went to meditate on Narayan or Krishna. And they went underwater for a long time. They traveled to various places, but ultimately they were there. And the amazing thing, they never fought with each other. They never competed in a selfish way. They were never envious. They were all trying to help each other to overcome whatever difficulties each of them had. And they learned the art that if I help you, then I'm also helping myself because Krishna is going to be pleased with me. That's a reality. In giving, we receive. When we really reach out to help someone else, that's the best way we help ourselves. But at the same time, we have to get enough sleep and eat the right foods and get enough exercise and do our own sadhana very carefully. Otherwise, we have nothing spiritual to give to help anyone. So we have our sadhana. We have our moral principles. And then we have some spiritual strength to actually help. But with that spiritual strength, we help. That is seva. The Prachetas, ultimately Lord Narayan, personally came to give them darshan. And one of the first things the Lord told them is because of your friendly relationships with each other, because you're so much favorably trying to help each other, I have come to you and I will give you all benedictions you desire. That's an eternal principle. When we read Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, which is the postgraduate study of Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the graduate study of Bhagavad Gita, the entirety of Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita and Sri Chaitanya Bhagavat is a beautiful study 
of the relationships between all the devotees who are all centered in their loving service to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, to Sri Sri Radha Krishna. So creating community is one of the most ancient emphasized aspects of devotional service. And that is why all of these incredibly empowered gurus and acharyas have created temples to create communities. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself in Jagannath Puri, while he stood before the chariot of Lord Jagannath, before revealing to all of his devotees, all the people in Puri, and through uh, this great scripture, all the people of the world, before revealing the highest, most intimate ecstasies of spiritual love, he offered a prayer, which is foundational. Naham viparonacha narabhatirnapi vaishyana I'm not a Brahmana or a Kshatriya or a Vaishya or a Shudra. I'm not a Brahmachari, Grihasta, Vana, Prasanyas. I'm not these external designations. Who really am I? Gopi Bharatura Padakamali Oradasa Dasa Das Anudas. I am the servant of the servant of the servant of the servant of the Lord of the Gopis, Sri Krishna. That's our identity. That's our true spiritual identity. And to live according to that spirit, that principle, is actually Vaishnavism, true bhakti. In whatever world we are, Srila Prabhupada, I often tell this story because when I heard Srila Prabhupada say it, it really moved me. At the time, Srila Prabhupada had already left Vrindavan. He left on a little cargo ship 50 years ago. He had no money, he didn't know anyone. And within a few years, he was a world acharya with hundreds and thousands of followers, 100 temples, had the biggest publishing house for Vedic literatures in the history of the world. And yet he was remembering a simple little widow at the Radha Damodar temple in Vrindavan. When he was living there, this Bengali widow, she wasn't educated. She didn't have a home. She just had one little white sari, just one piece that, that's about all she had. And early every morning, she would just, she was very old. She would come with a bucket of water from the Yamuna River 
and bring it and just put it in front of the altar. And then she'd go. And because she did it every day, nobody recognized her, nobody even thanked her. Pujara would come out, he would bring the water and use it for his puja to worship Lord Radha Damodar. But Srila Prabhupada, from his little room where he was translating and making commentaries of Srimad Bhagavatam, he would see her every day. And he was explaining to us in the American countries what a great devotee she was. He was a scholar. She didn't, probably was uneducated. He was a world acharya getting guru pujas. Nobody even thanked her. <laughs> but he recognized her greatness because of her sincerity. So this is the principle that Lord Chaitanya taught us. Servant of the servant of the servant. That's our true identity. And having temples like this is an actual opportunity to come together to practice it. Not on our terms, but on Krishna's terms. Because that's how we make advancement. Our terms is things should be done my way. Krishna's terms is it has to be done in a way that Krishna's pleased. And that means we put Krishna in the center and we take our own selfishness out of the center. And when we put Krishna in the center and take our own selfishness out of the center, what happens? We actually put everyone in the center, because <laughs> that's what Krishna wants. Machchita madgata prana bodhiyanta parasparam katiyatanshchamam nityam tushyanti charamanticha. Krishna tells in Gita that my devotees take great happiness. They experience great happiness by enlightening one another and chanting my names and my glories together. So this is what a temple is, where we come together to have kirtan. We come together to do our japa. We come together to do seva. And from the temple, we reach out to the whole society with this culture of devotion. So with this temple coming, because you are, most of you here are the community, it is really for you to decide whether you want those bricks to just be bricks or will you, whether you want them to be um, 
precious jewels from the spiritual world. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, he said, when the devotees, he wanted them to build a temple. And he wanted them to build a nice temple. And they didn't have any money, and they didn't really know how to do it. And they were kind of saying, how are we going to do it? And Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur said, he said, if we just have one single brick from the spiritual world <laughs> that could build all our temples. Because when devotees are united on this higher principle, it attracts the spiritual world, it attracts Krishna. And then that's where we see the actual miracles of life. Life could be seen as a miracle every moment if we only have this vision of seeing Krishna's hand, his inconceivable empowered hand, Sri Radha's grace. And that grace comes when we ourselves, each of us individually, take responsibility for our own sadhana and our own character and we unite. We unite our family and then we unite all of our families. In that spirit of servant, of servant, of servant. And there's nothing that charms and sustains our devotion more than such a supportive, encouraging community. And there's nothing that will attract the public more than such a united community. But it's also a test. Because when you have something and it takes management, and it takes planning, and it takes all these other things. It could also really be a test. But that's how we grow, by passing tests. Children in school, usually they don't like tests. Just like my dear little friend here, he told me the other day he had a test. <laughs> an exam. And usually we don't like exams, but exams are important because they actually pressurize us to really go deep into the subject. Otherwise, we can just be in class thinking, oh, I just want to get out of here and not listen. And just because you're there, you but when there's an exam, it means you actually really start have to listen. You have to really start reading the books and learning. So exams are necessary. And spiritually they are too. Because we may hear some philosophy. We may even be able to speak philosophy. But when our ego is coming between us and other devotees, that's an exam. Are you going to pass it or fail it? Are you going to actually apply what you've learned? Or are you just going to say you know it? Saying you know it, you make no spiritual progress. 
But when you apply it, you make great spiritual progress. And when you apply it, then it's no longer you doing it. Then you're actually opening your heart to let Krishna do it through you. And that's bhakti. When we open our hearts to let Krishna do it through us. And when we really feel joy seeing that Krishna's doing it through another devotee, then we're really passing the test. <laughs> and we want to serve that devotee because Krishna's blessing. And that devotee may even want to serve us if they see Krishna's blessing us. But none of us take the credit. We share the credit. And that's what these wonderful temples could be. Ramanujacharya made his base at Rangakshetru, or the temple of Ranganath. And let me speak very briefly about that temple because a few days ago it was Ram Nomi, the appearance day of Ram. He had two brothers and a sister. His sister was Suparnaka. Please raise your hand if you know something about her. And his two younger brothers was Kumbhakarna, Please raise your hand if you know about him. And Vibhishan. Now, Suparnaka was really, really a super envious personality. She wanted to kill and eat Sita, <laughs> Ram's consort, so that she could enjoy with Ram. That was her nature. But somehow or other, Lakshman didn't allow her to do that, and she was very angry. Kumbhakarna, he wanted to eat everything <laughs> and everyone. But somehow or other, he had some restrictions in his life <laughs> beyond his will. And Ravana was the most feared, arrogant, lustful, envious, greedy person. Bhagavad Gita tells that our passionate, selfish greed is like fire. The more you feed it, the hotter it blazes. It can never be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied by becoming a millionaire or a billionaire or a trillionaire, or a quadrillionaire. You'll never be satisfied by living 70 years, or 80 years, or 100 years. You'll never be satisfied whether you're a musician and you sell hundreds of millions of your records. You'll never be satisfied if you're a beautiful woman, even if you're the queen of the universe because these things are all external, they don't touch the heart. 
because the heart is looking for Krishna's love and nothing else can compare to it, when we try to replace that with something else, nothing else can satisfy us. People become drug addicts and alcoholics and, and, and depressed and so many different kinds of sufferings because they just need more and it's not giving them enough. So that was Ravana. Sri Lanka was a kingdom where practically everything there was made out of solid gold. With precious jewels, heavenly jewels. And Ravana, he was so sexually agitated. He had hundreds and hundreds of women, the most beautiful women, that he would just steal from sages and rishis and demigods. But he still wasn't happy. He had all that money, but he still wanted more. He had all that power. He was so powerful, he defeated Indra in battle, but still he wasn't satisfied. He was like a universal champion. He wanted Sita. <laughs> wasn't satisfied with anything. So he's at Nasik, Panchabati. He kidnapped Sita in such a cowardly way and brought her back and kept her like a prisoner. And that's very much a part of the Ramayana. So Hanuman from Kishkindakshetra, not too far from here. He found out from Sampati where Sita was on the island of Lanka. He said, I could see her. <laughs> but there's an ocean 800 miles wide that you have to cross. Hanumanji was so enthusiastic when everyone else was thinking, how far can I jump? And nobody can do it. Hanuman was silent. He was so humble. He never boasted himself. It was Jambavan. He said, Hanuman, you could do it. And Hanuman said, yes, yes, I will do it. <laughs> On your order. And he chanted Ram's name so, so much from his heart of hearts, and he jumped. And so many tests came on the way. There was Simika, there was Surasa, there was the Mainaka, Mainak Mountain. Many, many tests. Impossible. But he was so determined. And he was so humble. What was his humility? That he was completely depending on Ram's mercy. And therefore he was totally fearless. Because he had such faith in that mercy. And he crossed the ocean. And then he went to Sri Lanka. 
and he saw Ravana's palace. The description Valmiki Muni gives of Ravana's palace, practically one room of his palace was worth more than the entire wealth of India, America, China, <laughs> all of Europe. Incredible. He was never satisfied. His wife, Mandodari, his principal wife, said, just give Sita back. Why, what's wrong with all of us? <laughs> and later, even his brother, Kumbhakarna, he said, why did you steal Sita? What crazy thing? Why didn't you ask us before? Now you're in such a mess. <laughs> so many people were wanting him. But Hanuman found Sita and gave Sita Ram's message and gave Sita a gift that Ram had sent for her. And Sita took a jewel from her forehead and gave it to Hanuman to bring to Ram. So his mission was fulfilled. His mission was to find out where Sita was and give her the message. But Hanuman wanted to do something extra. He wanted to meet Ravana face to face. And he wanted to give Ravana a chance to rectify himself. Because a devotee always tries to see that everyone could be rectified. So he started breaking things that Ravana was very attached to. So Ravana sent armies, and, and Hanuman, the first military division that came, Hanuman just took an a, a iron rod from one of the gates of, of the Ashok Garden and just liberated everyone. <laughs> Ravana was furious. He sent his own son, and Hanuman liberated him too. And everybody was sending this one little monk, this one monkey was defeating everyone. Finally, Indrajit, Ravana's eldest son. Hanuman allowed himself to be tied up because he wanted to go in and meet Ravana. But he first wanted to, for Ravana to take him seriously. So Ravana started chastising him. And Hanumanji was actually very, he said to Ravana, just give Sita back and the all-powerful Ram will be your friend. <laughs> you have stolen her by unfair means. Otherwise, he will be destroyed. Ravana was so furious that he told his guards, kill him. Vibhishan, Ravana's own brother, who was a very great devotee, he spoke. He said, according to the Kshatriya codes, according to Dharma, you cannot 
kill a messenger. Hanuman is not your enemy. Rama is. He's just a messenger. You cannot kill him. And Ravana said, but he has, he has killed my son. He has killed my soldiers. He has destroyed my garden. Kill him. Vibhishan explained, you attacked him. He was just coming to give the message. <laughs> Hanuman was watching. So Ravana, convinced by his brother, to some extent, he said, I will not kill him. But monkeys are very attached to their tails. Light his tail on fire. Let his tail be destroyed. Let his body be mutilated. Maybe he will die. So they took large quantities of cotton and soaked it in flammable oil and wrapped it in his tail and lit it. And Ravana said, drag him through the streets so he's totally humiliated in front of everyone as he's being burnt alive. So Hanuman, his tail was blazing. And meanwhile, somebody told Sita in the Ashokvan that Hanuman's tail was set on fire. And Sita prayed to Agni Dev. If I have done anything pious or good in my life, if I've ever pleased my beloved Ram, let all my credits go to making that fire very cool and very pleasant for Hanuman's experience. So as his tail was literally blazing fire, and it was burning everything around. To Hanuman, it felt so, so nice, so refreshing. And he was thinking, how is this? Fire is not refreshing. It's not cool. He immediately understood Sita is praying for me. That is because Hanumanji endured so much difficulty for Sita. That's the nature of the love and the gratitude between the Lord and his devotee. She was so grateful to him, and he was so grateful to her. So then they started dragging him through the streets. He was tied up with all kinds of mystical ropes, and people were watching and laughing and jeering. And Hanuman was thinking, this is a wonderful opportunity to serve my beloved Ram. My tail's on fire. You see, this is a very good lesson for us. Whatever situation we're in, there is an opportunity to serve if we're sincere. He could have complained, my tail's on fire. But he was thinking, what is the opportunity to serve? So he became a little small, and he escaped from the ropes, and he jumped. I think the first roof he jumped on was Prahashta, 
who is the commander-in-chief of all of Ravana's army. And Hanuman jumped on the roof, and with the tail that Prahashta and all those others lit on fire, he just t touched it. <laughs> the whole building immediately ignited. It burned, it started, the top floor started crumbling down and people inside were screaming and jumping out the windows. And then Hanuman, he was dovetailing his propensities as a monkey. He jumped from one roof to another. And with his tail, he touched it. And another, and he, he went right into Ravana's house. <laughs> and he really created a total mess in Ravana's house. He messed everything up inside of it. He was lighting it all on fire with his tail. And this is a very, very important philosophical lesson. It's the principle of karma. What we do to others comes back to us. If we show compassion to others, that compassion is going to come back to us in due course. If we cause harm to others, it will come to us. It's the law of nature. So Ravana, he's the one who ordered, he's the one who put the fire on Hanuman's tail. And that same fire is what burned down his house and most of his whole kingdom of Sri Lanka. Hanuman was jumping on hundreds of houses. They were, the whole city was blazing with fire and nobody knew what to do, and Hanuman was just jumping around, chanting Ram's name. And then he jumped to the top of a mountain, and he looked and he saw, and he's thinking, he was so humble. He was thinking, what have I done? Sita's in Sri Lanka. What if she gets burnt? I didn't think of that. And then he started chastising himself. Just see what anger does. I was reacting in an angry way to what Ravana has done. And now the whole reason I came here was for Sita. But then the demigod spoke from the sky and told Hanuman that Sita's very safe and she's very happy to see what you've done. <laughs> She cannot be harmed. So Hanuman was very happy. And with a loud voice, he said so, so Ravana and everyone else could hear. He said, I am just one insignificant servant of a servant of Ram. And see what I have done? If you don't give back Sita, Ram will soon come. And then Hanuman put his tail in the ocean, put out the fire, and then jumped back. And when he came back to the shore of Rameshwaram area, all the other Banaras, they were so happy to see him, and he told everyone the whole story. And they were very excited, and then he, they immediately went back to Kishkinda, to the Prashravana mountain, And the news was explained to Ram, and Hanuman gave Ram Sita's message. 
She wanted me to tell you some things that nobody else in the world knows, just for for you to know that she, that I have met her. When the son of Indra, giant, when you and Sita were sitting on that rock in the Mandakini Ganga in Chitrakut, and the pastime that took place there, I don't have time to tell it. No one except Sita Ram knew that story. And then Ram gave Ram Sita's jewel. Ram held it and pressed it to his heart. He cried and cried and cried. He said, this jewel was given to King Janak by Indra. And during our marriage in Mithila, King Janak gave that to Sita as a gift to his daughter. So immediately they made Ram was so indebted to Hanumanji. He said, I have no power to repay you. I've been exiled. I have no wealth. I have no home. All I have is myself, my own heart. I give you my heart. And then Ram embraced Hanuman. And Hanuman wept tears. And Ram wept tears. The love between the Lord and his devotee. Hanuman wanted nothing else. Ram was pleased. And then they went in procession to the shore of the ocean. And meanwhile, Ravana had an assembly at Sri Lanka where he brought all of his great generals and ministers and said, Ram is soon coming. And I think it is of a concern because he's going to be coming with an army. I have spies who said there's an army of limitless monkeys, giant monkeys, who are with Raman Lakshman at the shore at the other side of the sea. One monkey, you see what he has done. But to speak of all of them and Ram, I think we have to be very serious about this. I want to know your opinion. And all of them completely dismissed any danger at all. Each one of them stood up and started waving their weapons and say, I myself could destroy that whole army in Ram and Lakshman. Just send me. I'll do it now. You have nothing to fear. And others were saying, you have defeated Indra, you have defeated the demigods. This is just a human being and a bunch of monkeys. You can easily destroy them. But there's no need for you even to exert yourself. I will do it myself single-handedly. Each one of them were saying like this. 
And Ravana was really enjoying listening to it. <laughs> but then Vibhishan, his youngest brother, who was the only one there that actually loved Ravana, because love is not, the others just were using him or afraid of him. But Vibhishan loved him. Vibhishan said, you saw what one little monkey Hanuman has done. He's not a little one, but he's, you see what, what, Ram is the supreme Lord Narayan. <laughs> he's the absolute truth. He's all powerful. He stole his consort, Sita. Give back Sita, my brother. Otherwise, you will be killed and your whole dynasty and kingdom will be destroyed. Just give back Sita. And others didn't like to hear this. Ravana said, we will continue this session tomorrow. The next day, Vibhishan personally went to privately meet Ram in the morning. And he told him the same thing. That don't you understand who Ram is? He's perfectly in the side of Dharma and you are in the side of Adharma. You cannot win. Just return Sita. Ravana didn't say anything. He went into the assembly and everybody else started saying the same old things and Vibhishan spoke again that same message. Indrajit. He started screaming at Vibhishan, his uncle. Indrajit is Ravana's eldest brother. He said, you are a coward. You are a miserly coward. You have no integrity or no dignity. You're not fit to be in this race. I can by myself destroy all of them. Vibhishan got very angry. He said, Indrajit, you are just a fool, an immature fool. He turned to Ravana and he said, all of these people, due to their fear of you and just trying to make you happy, they are all speaking total lies. Give back Sita. Make friends with Ram. Ravana was so infuriated. He said, if you were not my brother, I would have already killed you. I want to kill you. <laughs> but because you're my brother, I reject you. And he started blasting the terrible, horrible things against Vibhishan. And Vibhishan said to Ravana, he said, you're my brother, and I've tried to help you. But because you will not listen, I reject you. I reject everything here in Sri Lanka, and I will leave. Then he and, was it three or four, 
four of his assistants, his ministers, they rose in the sky and they crossed over the ocean. And they were, they were rakshashas, so they were very gigantic. And they were in the sky. And they came before Sugrava. And, uh, and, and Sugriva immediately told his soldiers, this is Ravana's brother, Vibhishan, they're Rakshashas. Immediately uh, capture them and kill them. But then Vibhishan spoke. He said, I want to surrender my life to Ram. Please give him this message. So Sugriva went to Ram and told him, Ravana's brother wants to surrender to you. Ram said, what do you think? Sugriva said, he cannot be trusted. He's the brother of our enemy. If we let him close to us, then he'll get inside and he could do the most damage. He should immediately be killed. Ram said, what do the rest of you think? Angada said, we shouldn't accept him. Over a period of time, we should have spies watching him at every moment to see if we could really trust him before we let him into our family. John Bhavan said, yes, he should be watched very, very carefully before he can be trusted. Everyone was either saying, capture him, kill him, or give time to spy on him and watch him, but don't let him in. Then Ram asked Hanuman, what do you think? Hanuman said, I, I looked at his face when he was speaking. He was completely peaceful. I could see there was no duplicity in him. He's come to surrender his life to you. I think that we don't have time to test him and watch him and spy on him. <laughs> we should immediately accept him in our family and give out him our complete support and our complete trust. And Ram said, yes, we should do this. And Sugriva, the commander-in-chief, he said, no, he must be killed. He's Ravana's brother. He betrayed Ravana because of some internal fight. But when it comes to either you die or Ravana die, then he's going to side with his brother. That's the way family nature is. If he can betray him, he can betray you. He must be killed. We cannot trust him. And then Ravana Ram spoke famous words that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu quoted. He said, I want all of you to hear what I say. Anyone who even once with a sincere heart says, my Lord, I am yours. I vow before all of you that I will give that person complete protection from all fear. I will give him freedom from all difficulty forever. That is my word. 
even if Ramana himself came to me to surrender, I would forgive him and I would give him all protection and give him complete freedom. Bring Vibhishan now. When Sugriva heard this, he was crying in ecstasy. He said, my beloved Lord Ram, whatever you say is true, Vibhishan will be our brother forever. Vibhishan came down. He was brought before Ram. And he spoke. First, he, Dandavat prostrated himself at Ram's feet. Now with folded hands from his heart, he said, I have left the hall that I was born and raised in, where I lived for many long years. I have left my whole family, all my wealth, all my prestige, everything I've left, only to come and surrender to you, my Lord. I am yours to serve you in every way. Ram was so pleased. He told Lakshman, go get water from the ocean. I will consecrate on this very day Vibhishan as the king of Lanka. He said, after I cross the ocean, and after I move, after I bring Sita back and annihilate the dynasty of these tyrants, I will make you the king. And then they performed the ceremony. Simple ceremony, just pouring some ocean water on his head. And he was consecrated by the supreme personality of Godhead Ramchandra. Vibhishan was there in every possible way to help Ram. How to cross the ocean? Ram asked Vibhishan. <laughs> Vibhishan said, you should get the blessings of the god of the ocean. And that's a long story. But that was Vibhishan's idea. And ultimately, Samudra, Samudra Raj, he told Ram sat on the banks of the ocean on some kusha grass, fasting for three days, humbly praying for the Lord of the ocean to show the way to cross. But Samudra didn't come. And Ram, who's Sarvasya Chaham Hridishani Vishdomatasmitir Gyanamapohanamcha, he knows everything about everyone. He's in everyone's heart. He knew that Samudra, was his devotee servant, was so arrogant. He wasn't paying attention to him. Ram turned to Lakshman and said, In this world, True virtue is to be humble, to be patient, to be forgiving, and to be kind. But people without virtue, they don't recognize or respect that. People without virtue, they, they respect people who are harsh, who speak harshly, 
who are egoistic, who are always glorifying themselves. I've been very kind and forgiving and patient and humble, but he's not listening to me. So today, if he's not willing to give us passage, I will dry him up so the ocean becomes a desert that we'll just walk across. And he picked up an arrow and put it to his bow and his eyes were red. He was very displeased and he shot some arrows and the whole ocean started gigantic waves and it started bubbling over and all the fishes and everything were trying to jump out of the water because it was so difficult to be. And then he took a Brahmastra, another one. And at that point, Samudra came out of the ocean and walked up to the shore and bowed to Ram's feet and begged forgiveness. And Ram forgave him. <laughs> and then he told Ram, if you want to cross the ocean, no problem. Whatever you put on top of the ocean, I will make it float on top. But you have one monkey soldier here named Nala. He's the son of Vishwakarma. And he's a fantastic engineer. Let him engineer and have your army build a bridge. Ram called Nala. And Nala immediately made an engineering plan. It's time for class to end. Time to end? You look you look very humble, but quite official also. <laughs> I'll end really soon. I'll go fast forward. So in five days, 800 miles long, 80 miles wide, and they all crossed the ocean. And Vibhishan, it was at the most crucial times, the most difficult situations, Vibhishan always knew exactly what to speak. And he gave Ram such support. And at the end of the battle, Ram was fighting with Ravana one-to-one -one on a personal level. And even when Rama, Ravana, Rama was cutting off Ravana's heads, they kept growing back. <laughs> he would shoot an arrow. He would cut off his head. The head would fall. Another head would Ram, what am I going to do? <laughs> How do you kill someone when they're... And then Vibhishan explained that there is a nectar that's within his heart. As long as that's there, then he cannot be stopped. 
but shoot with the Aditya Hridai, the mantra that Agastya Muni has given you and the special arrow he gave you. If you send it into his heart to dry up that nectar, then only. Vibhishan told, and Ram took his arrow. Ravana was liberated. <laughs> and then Ram told Vibhishan, you should perform the last rites for your brother. Vibhishan said, no, I'm not going to perform the last rites for me. He was sorry. He rejected me. He insulted me. He stole your Sita. He's the cause of the ruination of my own family and dynasty. How can... Ram said, but now he's dead. <laughs> you must forgive him. You must help him to make a spiritual destination. So on Ram's order, Vibhishan performed the last rites. And Sita was brought back to Ram. And then they all went on Pushpaka back to Ayodhya, where Ram was coronated as king. And Lord Ramchandra, he wanted Vibhishan to go back to Sri Lanka to rule over the kingdom. And out of gratitude, he gave the Murti of Ranganath to Vibhishan to worship him personally. That Murti was, Nityananda Prabhu knows all these stories very authoritatively. But I believe it originated with Lord Brahma, was ultimately given to Maharaj Ikshvaku and, and over generations was eventually brought to Ayodhya and was worshipped in Ayodhya for many, many generations. And Ram gave that Murti of himself, Ranganath, to Vibhishan. He gave himself. And Vibhishan brought the Murti and on the way he stopped in that island between two streams of the Kaveri River. And there, Ranganath decided to stay. <laughs> and Vibhishan still comes there to perform puja. So Ranganath in that place is the beautiful pastime of the love and surrender of a devotee for the Lord Ram and Ram's extreme love and gratitude to his devotee. Vibhishan is a rakshasha. Sugriva, Angara, they were Vanaras. They were monkeys. <laughs> Ram, Lakshman, 
They were Kshatriyas, kings. Guha was a Nishada. All these different personalities, they were all united. And what's beautiful, their union was, they were always there to encourage, appreciate, and protect each other in the service of Ram. Ram could have single-handedly won back Sita, but he wanted to unite all of these different factors from all different sectors of society because that's what pleases him. So Sripad Yamunacharya, Ramanujacharya, they made that their headquarter base, the center of Sri Vaishnava society. Because it's a holy place and its origin is such a deep spiritual message. It's the love of the Lord for his devotee and the love of the devotee for the Lord. And that's what our community should be built on. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, during his South Indian tour, he went to Sri Rangam and he stayed for four months. He was in Bhundabhan for two months. He lived... He was in Bangladesh for a couple of months. But actually in Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's whole Leela, he was in Navadweep for about 24 years. And then he traveled in many places and he was in Puri constantly for about 18 years, 12 years. So besides Puri and Vrindavan, he spent most time in Rangakshetra at the house of Venkatabhata. Very special place with a very special message. Vibhishan's lila is bhakti is very much the story of Rangana, Rangakshetra. Srila Prabhupada, he wanted to, on the order of his guru in 1922, he was given this direction. You are an intelligent young man. Take the message of Lord Chaitanya all over the world in the English language. That was 1922. Srila Prabhupada was just married and just had a son. He took that compassionate message as his life and soul. And 40, 43 years later, in 1965, he actually went out to do it. 
He was preparing himself his whole life. August 13th, 1965, he boarded the Jaladuta, a cargo ship. And Srila Prabhupada prepare himself for this historical journey. He sat in the rooms of Radha Damodar in Vrindavan for about six years. And he was practically day and night performing his sadhana, his puja, and translating and giving commentaries on the Srimad Bhagavatam, the most important scripture of our parampara. It was his aim, he would translate the first canto in three volumes, have it published. He had no money, he had no means, but somehow or other nothing could stop him. He just patiently, with such determination and compassion, spent years. And the Jaladutta left from the King's George dot guards in Calcutta, went down to Kanyakumari, then up the west coast, and stopped in Cochin. And that was a very important historical place because that's where the boxes of Srimad Bhagavatam were sent to be put on the Jaladuta. And from Cochin, Srila Prabhupada left for the West. So this year is the 50th anniversary. And on August 13, 14, 15, we're having a wonderful celebration in Calcutta. And a little later, there'll also be a wonderful celebration just close by in Cochin. <laughs> opportunities to unite, to do something wonderful, and to show our gratitude. Thank you very much.